what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mistress Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to you have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for a bonus episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known by all of us by now as just DCU. And whether you're driving off the lot or you're refinancing, DCU can help you save on your next auto loan with rates as low as 1.49% APR. Yeah, that low. I know. 1.49% APR. Learn more at dcu.org slash auto. Insured by NCUA, membership required. This episode is also sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with me, Blue Chew. It's making waves and bringing more confidence in the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of erectile dysfunction. And it's an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. Okay, recently I had a chance to attend the Rockin' Pod podcast convention in Nashville, Tennessee. And one of the artists and musicians that I got to meet was legendary bass player Billy Sheehan. And he was willing to sit down and talk to me and be on an episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. We talked about his early start playing the bass. We talked about songwriting and bass and guitar tone. We made a list of influential front men who are also bass players. And Billy Sheehan commented on the legendary Dusty Hill. He's been dubbed the Eddie Van Halen on the bass for good reason. Billy Sheehan played with David Lee Roth on his solo records, was a member of Mr. Big, started out his career as a member of Talis, and now is a member of the Winery Dogs. He's incredibly passionate, unbelievably talented, and I could not wait to sit down and talk to him. So allow me to introduce you to Billy Sheehan. All right, can I hear you? How's that? Yeah, you're in my ears. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks very much. I appreciate you sitting down with me today. My pleasure. 
I saw you at the pre-party last night. It looked like you were having a good time on the stage what, last night. Absolutely. What a blast. Greg Bissonette is not only one of my dearest friends and one of the finest humans I know, but what a great drummer. He's a joy to play with him. You know what I love? I love that you've been a musician for so long and yet you still find joy in it. Yeah, you know, I don't know where that comes from, that enthusiasm, but uh, I still have it. Uh, like I, when I was 16, you know, I, I probably practice more now than I ever did in my life. And I get a, I'm driving in my car, I get excited to get home to try this thing, I, this idea I had, you know. So after over about 55 years of playing, uh, I'm glad that still exists. What made you pick it up in the first place? I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I saw the girls scream and I said, I, I want, want that, that job. <laughs> True. What do you still have the first? I'm assuming you learned on guitar. Or did you pick up a bass first? I had a guitar first only because basses were harder to get. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's why I'm And then my yeah. first bass. Yes, I still got it. You still what is it? It's uh, my original Fender P bass is referred to as the wife. Uh, it's been on the cover of many, many magazines. It's been, no, oh, it's probably maybe three, over 3,000, maybe 3,500 gigs on that bass. I did Eat Him and Smile, first Mr. Big record, all the Talis stuff on that bass. So it's uh, it still hangs in the, I've retired it, but it's in my studio so but I can still pick have it up. It. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that comes up in the interviews that I do all the time is tone. Yes. And... The story I use is reference. Nuno Betancourt told me a great story about how he went to a Van Halen rehearsal and got to live out his dream of playing Eddie's guitar, Eddie's strings, Eddie's effects, Eddie's amp, Eddie's cable, everything. And that he was still upset that he sounded like Nuno. Yep. Be where does your tone come from? What do you attribute it? The hands. Yeah. It's your hands. Everybody's got different DNA. Uh, and uh, it's just uh, there's a famous story of Ted Nugent and Ed Van Halen doing the same thing, playing through each other's rigs. And they each sound the same, even though it was all different. It's just the way you uh, and it's it's a good thing because every individual, no matter how many pedals and amps and speakers and whatever, what kind of strings and guitars, you still got your personal thing that uh, is difficult to mask. It's difficult to uh, obscure. So your, your, your own personality and spirit will, will somehow make it its way through all that wire right. and all those batteries and all that and, and still come out, which I think is a, a beautiful thing about uh, music as a, as a performance art. You're involved in so many songs and so many albums that are so recognizable. Can you give me an example of a song we all know and tell me the ridiculous story that inspired your part of that song? Like you woke up in a dream you heard something like, is there one song, one part that you that you got from the heavens or a crazy inspiration that turned into something we all recognize? Well, uh, there's a Mr. Big song called Daddy, Brother, Lover, Little Boy. And we also did use the electric drills in that song. So yep. in the parentheses, it was the electric drill song. And I remember I wrote it. I was at the Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset Boulevard in L.A. A typical Friday or Saturday night out, and it was chaos and a lot of people hanging out. And the young lady behind the bar was a dear friend of mine, so I would sit at a corner of the bar, a kind of protected area, and she would take good care of me, and my friends would come and go. And I'm watching this circus that is the Rainbow Bar and Grill, which is quite a spectacular the epicenter of rock and roll <laughs> oh, in amazing. LA. 
and I got a, I asked her for a napkin. I go, you got a pen? Yeah. So, and I wrote down daddy, brother, lover, little book. I was watching all, all these guys trying to pick up all these girls from, from each different position, <laughs> from each of those four points right. of view. And, uh, and I remember I showed it to her. I said, what do you, uh, and I told her the story. And she goes, you nailed it. That's exactly it. So, uh, Mr. Big Rehearsals, not not too far after that, we we built that into a song. We always talk about songwriting because selfishly, I don't have the gift, right? I, I would sit at the rainbow next to you and not be inspired to ask for the cocktail <laughs> napkin, right? Some people just have it. So of the music you love, not necessarily your own, but the music that you love, can you give me an example, regardless of genre or era, of fantastic songwriting? Like a song you covet that you're like, fuck, I wish I wrote that song. And break it down as to why it's such good songwriting. Good. If I Fell by the Beatles. If I Fell, and the, the cadence being, if I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true and help me understand? Because I've been in love before, and I found that love is more than just holding hands. Brilliant. Yeah. The rhythm of those words, the meaning of those words. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true and help me understand? Because uh, I've been in, in love before, and I found that love is more than just holding hands. Now, it's just as a sentiment. Yeah. It says so much to so many people. How many kids thought they were in love with the, the, the kid sitting next to them in school and they found out that that really wasn't love. That was being a kid and it was wonderful, but it wasn't really love. Hormones. <laughs> and so um, then on top of it, the song continues on to utter musical greatness, chord changes, melodies, uh, just and, and the sentiment that it says. And when you say a sentiment that is common with everyone, I, I'll stick with the Beatles. I want to hold your hand. Oh, please say to me, you'll let me be your man. You'll, you, you, I want to hold your hand. How simple. But everybody thinks that. Everybody saw that. Every guy saw some girl in a while, uh, maybe more than hold her hand. But never <laughs> like, in the beginning, it was hold her hand. You know, right. it's a sentiment we all have. So you have many thoughts and feelings like we all do. And yeah, but a, I'm not a Lennon and McCartney songwriter. Well, nor, nor I. <laughs> but. But uh, and that, that's why the gift of uh, being an artist uh, gives you that little ability. But I do believe uh, almost anyone can develop it, maybe not to Lennon and McCartney standards, but just to begin to understand that. I, I do a lot of seminars and uh, uh, I work with songwriters also to uh, fine tune their songs. But we'll take the, that, that cadence of those words before. Sometimes they don't fall in that cadence. We've got to change lyrics around, switch words remove some syllables, uh, throw a few words away to make it all fall in line like a, like a song like that. So it's, uh, it's something you can learn. It's something you can improve upon. How far you make it is, uh, I guess, determined by the stars or, or something we, we don't know about. But I do believe uh, anyone can improve in their art form no matter what it is right you may not reach the pinnacle but you will do better and songwriting itself uh, has rules you know you uh, don't bore us get to the chorus some songs you want to put the chorus up front 
because of course once you hear the chorus that's where the title lives and that's what gets repeat and that's what everybody sings along with so uh shout to the heart and you sing the chorus first right it's an old beatles trick that's what they do help i need somebody you know, it's amazing how many times no matter the the era of musician i talk to that it literally always ends up back at the beatles like yes. it doesn't matter if i'm talking to taylor mumson from the pretty reckless or you that it it always goes back there. Because they were the first, not the first, uh, band to write and sing the lion's share of the song, most songs. Though their first record is half copy tunes. Right. Taste of Honey, Twist and Shout, Please Mr. Postman, etc. But they became great songwriters because they played copy tunes in bars and you start to get used to how songs go together. And they all loved a lot of music from their youth. And that started at work in. There were great songwriters before them, but most songwriters wrote the song and a performer, like Frank Sinatra, Fly Me to the Moon. I forgot who wrote it, but it wasn't Frank. I don't think Frank ever wrote a song. Nor Elvis. Elvis never wrote a song. Yeah. Didn't but have the, to. Exactly. But when, when bands started writing their own material, Bob Dylan did initially, a lot of people of that uh, uh, genre of music. Uh, but when the Beatles started to do it on a regular basis and it was good, Everybody realized, wow, that's uh, now you can not only uh, be successful as an artist, but as a songwriter and both together. I think this is why Paul McCartney is the richest musician in the world. And he's not a shabby bass player. <laughs> and he's a bass player on top of it. How right. cool. <laughs> because you're such a prolific bass player, I think sometimes it's easy to see the Eddie Van Halen, right, with the big solo. But I think sometimes a music fan may not understand the bass's role in a song. Right. So from your perspective, can you talk to me about that and what you think it is? Sure. Well, it underpins uh, what chord you're playing. You move a bass note, that chord becomes different. And it, it's uh, now, now you actually have the, the ability to control a huge aspect of what chord is being playing and how it's being treated. And the bass is also the connection between time the drummer, and melody, the singing, songwriting, or chords. Uh, so it's the glue that holds those two together. If you hear a drummer play, what key is he in? We don't know. Then the bass player starts playing an A. Oh, we're in the key of A. And then he throws another note in there to show you that it's A minor. Now we've got, now we basically have the song. So, so the bass player, uh, within a band context, and that's mostly what I do. People think I solo mostly. That's only because fans don't post the songs they just post the <laughs> they solos, want the solos man. <laughs> so I, I can't i can't stop that no matter what but you uh you you the bass as a as an instrument is a real foundation drums first drums are always first sound check drums first in the studio get the drum sounds first drum lay the drums down and build on top of it but the next thing is always the bass and that connects that time to melody and then now we're having music as opposed to just beats and time and uh to learn about that motown music is incredible and it had an amazing bass player jamie jamerson and he the bass was flying all over the place the notes were everywhere it was up and down the neck paul mccartney too all over the place but it makes so much sense and worked with those chords that it was without that bass and either motown or beatles i don't think it would have nearly had the impact that it did Bass players also are the brunt of a lot of jokes. <laughs> you got to have a favorite. 
uh, probably the one I, I forgot how it goes, but the uh, the uh, the bass player uh, locking his keys in his car, but so the lead guitar player had to lead let him out. You know, <laughs> I don't know, it's crazy, <laughs> bad joke, bad joke. But uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I, well, people start making bass player jokes, so I said, well, Paul McCartney is the richest musician in the world and he's a bass player so there right. you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> and sting and lemmy and phil and and uh doug pinnock and uh and uh getty getty there's, there's some of course uh so many great uh singing bass players and when there's a singing bass player the band kind of have a special little gift to its dna because vocals and bass when when woven together or working together it is a magical combination it's an interesting thing. There have been a lot of times that you've rolled through Boston. And because I born and raised and spent so much time on the radio there, you always know a Bostonian because within the first two minutes that you meet them, they tell you they're from Boston because we're just that way. <laughs> you've traveled the world. Do you have a memory of Boston, of a, of a show, a, oh, an yeah. event? All right, hit me with it. We played the channel one time oh. after leaving. We got finished at uh, Lemoore's in New York. And we're loading the truck and the sun is coming up. And uh, so we drive right from Lemoore's to the channel. I'm pretty sure it was the channel. We got there and the, there was no dressing room at the time. And so it was a girl's bathroom. It was the channel like overlooked the harbor. Yeah. 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 You're talking about the right yeah. place. Uh, so there was really no dressing room and no place to sit. So I, no, I haven't slept now since uh, maybe 30 hours. So what? when was this? 84 or 5. Ooh, okay. Right there in the middle of it. Yeah. And uh, we. Uh, so I got there and I tried to close my... I, it was a, like a church pew was the only thing I could find to sit on to try and balance and close my eyes for a minute. So I couldn't sleep at all. We did the show, but oddly we had a great night. Usually if conditions are perfect and the catering is great and the dressing room is cushy and everything you want and the sound check went perfect, usually the gig is eh, not so good. You get there on no sleep, on no food. It's a chaos. The what gear breaks down. What is it about that? Because Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots just alluded to something like this where there are just those gigs where the energy in the band on the stage that night with the crowd, yep. no matter what else happened, it's just perfect. Yeah, it's funny. It's, uh, I think when you're too prepared, it's kind of, you, you don't have the same, you're not pushing back. So if you spend all day working on stuff and the gear is breaking down and mics are fading back, you get on stage, you got, you're ready to kill or ready to push harder. And I think you just, it just works out better for some reason. It's odd. And there's also an odd turnaround. The band will think it has an amazing night. Wow, this was perfect. Get off stage and go, hey, how was the show? They go, eh, that's okay. <laughs> and then you have a night where everything goes wrong. It's just right. awful, terrible. You get off stage and go, why am I even doing this? People go, that was the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen you play better. And I'm like, what? So, so I, I express to my fellow musicians this sometimes. I say, if you have a bad night, don't worry about it. Because somebody's going to think it's fine. You know, always, always try to do your best. But don't let it get to you. But you remember that gig at the channel just yeah. because it was so good. Yeah. Because was, the vibe on the stage. It was, was a the great night. And the people were wonderful to us. Boston crowds are fantastic. And uh, but then after that, we had no hotel. We had to leave from the channel to drive to Buffalo about 10 hours. I drove. Oh. And, I, and I got into this zone where I 
I could have gone another 10 hours, I think. And I may have. Wait, wait, I'm losing you. So, sorry. That's okay. You're, you're driving the truck with the yeah, microphone I and hands. I couldn't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I made it. And that was, uh, I remember doing uh, those two shows and driving all that way. And both were really good shows, but it was uh, grueling. You know, if I had to do that now, I'm happy and grateful that I'm in a position where I, where I might opt out of that that much uh, discomfort. But I would be mad at myself later for doing so. I would like to think after all these years, you'd get somebody to give you a ride. Maybe. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming and sitting down because you've you've been part of rock and roll for so long. And the podcasting world, this is such a new thing that some of the things that radio has gone in one way but podcasting is such a passionate community of people that love their music so i see much. that i see that by this convention and i've done a lot of podcasts so especially this last year being uh, home all the time doing a zillions of podcasts with people all over the world it's a it's a vital and a very alive it's yeah. a, it's a inspiring well now you can say you did mine Lay. I appreciate that. <laughs> it was really nice to meet you. Thank you so much for my hanging pleasure. out with me today. Absolutely my pleasure. Say hello to all the people in Boston. Absolutely. I miss them all. And uh, hopefully I get back to play there again very soon. Yeah, so what's the plan? What what are you post COVID coming out of this? What what's well, next? We're probably gonna start touring in twenty twenty two with the winery dogs. Okay. Uh, unfortunately we won't be touring, but I have a brand new Talos record coming out. So the band I played with most in Boston. We're going to be, uh, we have a new record coming out of all of our songs that we never recorded from wow. back in the day. And uh, uh, sadly, we, we lost our lead singer. He passed away uh, not long after the record was done. But we're, we're making this record in his honor. His name is Phil Nero, a wonderful singer, great guy. And uh, so we're hoping this uh, record helps cement his legacy as a person and a vocalist as well. But uh, the Winery Dogs, probably Sons of Apollo as well uh, in 2022. And I can't wait to get back on stage again. Before I let you go, because you, you were just talking about that, I can't sit down with you and not talk about Dusty Hill. It would be a missed opportunity yep. for, for me to not get your perspective on his role and impact in rock and roll. Bass player to bass player. Oh, yeah. Dusty. Yeah. Well, I heard the news early on because a friend of mine knows someone that was with Dusty and I got the call very, very early in the situation. And I knew that the band hadn't announced anything yet. And I didn't I didn't want to uh, do anything improper. So I just posted an amazing photo of Dusty and said nothing. And uh, people figured it out, of course, and then uh, it came to be true. But what a, I am a huge ZZ Top fan. Billy Gibbons is a, I got two or three of my best moves from him. <laughs> and Dusty Hill was a fine, wonderful man and a great player and an amazing singer. And he uh, touched me very, 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 very much. And uh, very, very sad to see him go. That was a tough one. Well, I appreciate your time today. Enjoy. My your, the rest of your day at the convention. And yes. I appreciate you answering all of my questions. <laughs> Have a great day. Boy, wonderful to speak with you. Take care. There he is, the one and only Billy Sheehan. If you check out the show notes of this podcast, you'll find all of the links to find Billy Sheehan online and you'll find the corresponding playlist. 
Every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast has a corresponding playlist that features all of the music that we talked about. You'll also find all of my links in the show notes as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. This week's episode features the one and only Dee Snyder. Plus, you get the Situation Report. The Sit Rep comes out every Monday through Friday and runs down all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And if you know any bass players, make sure you share this episode with them. Thanks once again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and Blue Chew at bluechew.com. You can always find me at mistresscarry.com. And every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern, you can join me live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.